Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of the Yard Modulate and a little high there. We'll fix that for you. It is a great day, as it should be, because we uh, picked up a big three-game sweep over the weekend of Kentucky. We expected to do that, and I guess more, more to the point, we hoped to do that. But we did take care of business. We'll break that down. I also had a chance to attend the Saturday morning scrimmage for Mississippi State football. Got a chance to watch most of that before we went over to baseball. We do have a full report over on jeanspage.com. Paul Jones kind of – Paul was there the entire time and uh, put everything together. We all kind of, you know, had some statistical categories that we kind of kept up with. And Dave Murray, of course, did the transcript of Mike Leach post-practice. So you can find all of that over at jeanspage.com. Happy to be a part of that and hope that you uh, enjoy our coverage of that. It was a busy weekend, but listen, it was so great to be back at Davis Wade Stadium. You know, walking in there, I even told Mike Nemeth, I said, man, I really miss this place. And it's one of those things that uh, I never take for granted because there's so many 
great moments that have happened there and we've been able to take part in that and cover that and witness it for you guys but uh, it was good to be back i'm very appreciative of mike leach dave emmerich uh, brandon langwa john cohen and others that okayed the media to be there now we could not do any live tweeting or reporting as it happened only kind of after the fact but despite that it was just a great time to be back and uh listen we were like a bunch of kids up there it's like you know what it's cool for us to be back here a lot of pregame stuff went on, a lot of uh, situational stuff before they actually got down to the scrimmage, probably about 70 snaps total when it was all said and done. So we'll break that down for you, too. I'll tell you who looked good. And, um, you know, a couple guys that um, didn't participate as well due to injury. But uh, you know, a lot of people see that and they think, oh, what's, what's going on here? You know, they're, they're going to be careful with guys in the spring. There's no point and turning a temporary situation into a long-lasting one. So there were some guys that didn't participate. Now, there is a possibility, too, that the media will be able to attend uh, the scrimmage this coming Saturday. I will not be there. I will be in Auburn, Alabama, as the Diamond Dogs are on the road. I have not been to Auburn for a baseball series since 2016. Didn't go over in 18, and then, of course, we didn't play in 2020. So it would be the first time in a long time I've been to Plainsman Park. I'm eager to get back there. Last time I was there, we watched Dakota Hudson and Austin Sexton absolutely deal over at Auburn. Had a great weekend there. It's, of course, it's the last time Mississippi State won the SEC regular season title. So that Auburn team somewhat resurgent. We'll discuss that somewhat uh, today on the show as we kind of recap what happened in the SEC over the weekend. Very grateful to Butch Thompson and his club for taking a game from Arkansas at Bomb Stadium. Had a really good chance to win that series. They couldn't close the deal. But any time that we can see teams like Ole Miss and, and Arkansas that are our competition in the West drop a game, and we do know that Arkansas and Ole Miss will play head-to-head, I suspect that will be a split series. So both of them will probably pick up a loss. Somebody will pick up two, uh, barring any weather concerns there. So anytime we can get somebody to, to take a game from somebody that we're not expecting, that is a big thing for Mississippi State. Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I know the uh, the young men in my house over the weekend were able to break bread, and it was Bulldog Burger Company. We had a little bit of a guys weekend. Had my youngest son had uh, two of his best friends over, and they had Bulldog Burger Company for supper on Friday night. Still think that uh, basically they had lunch too, you know, because the portions are so big. And I had some people tell me, said, you know what, Steve, you're right about that. I have noticed that when I go to Bulldog Burger Company. I get my money's worth of meal, and you will as well. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Start Vegas, and then on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Have the spring rolls. They will make you better looking. I had somebody message me and say, you know what, Steve, I didn't know that. I tried that. I walked out and had, uh, you know, three, shall we say, mature ladies uh, make some comments. So you know, maybe you, you too could be popular with senior women by eating the spring rolls. So give it a shot. You never know what luck will bring you. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk baseball. I could do that year-round. It was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series for us in most of the league this weekend. And so we kind of got a bonus day for Easter, which was kind of cool because it's very rare in our profession to get a weekend day off. You know, unless the Bulldog football team is off one weekend, we don't get a lot of time off for weekends. And so, you know, it's Easter Sunday. I hope you guys enjoyed some time with family. I, I, listen, we kind of just relaxed around here. We, uh, you know, we, we slept in a little bit and got out and did some things around the house. And, uh, 
went to the movies with uh, you know a couple of kids and, and just had a good time and so I hope you guys did that as well and so for those of you that uh, that I didn't get a chance to talk to on Sunday happy resurrection day and listen if you don't celebrate the holiday I hope you had a day off to kind of enjoy some time with, with friends and family it was so much easier to relax today because of the fact that the Bulldogs took care of business and we broke down the Thursday game on Friday, so we won't rehash that again. But let's take a look at what happened in that ball game on uh, on Friday. And it was somewhat uh, eventful, shall we say. We expected a pitching duel. We, that's exactly what we got. Thought Will Bednar was really, really good for Mississippi State. And, uh, you know, listen, and let, let's give some, uh, some credit to Cole Stoop, too. He was really good, too, just not as good. So we get into the first inning, and Bednar – just you know does a great job there he strikes out the side pitches around a two-out single and the cool thing about it is a lot of swing and miss in that early inning did not have a two ball count in the first inning and those are the things that really excite me because when will is on top of his game he is getting a ton of swing and miss and he's very efficient for the most part pitching wise he doesn't go out there and uh, waste a lot of pitches and get behind hitters and run his pitch count up if you want to make it to the big leagues, pitch efficiency is the deal. Everybody talks about velo and that sort of stuff, but being able to be pit, be efficient with the pitches uh, to allow you to go deeper in ball games. one of the things that MLB scouts are looking for. It's not just about stuff. It's about being able to manage an inning, and that's what Will did. Of course, you know, as I mentioned, you give up the, uh, the two-out single there, but then go right back and strike out Colette uh, looking. And I'll tell you, the thing about – uh, Collette, that's the first baseman for Kentucky. That, that dude's a big leaguer, man. I really like the makeup of his game, and that's one of the best things about covering Mississippi State baseball is you get to see so many great players, even on other teams, and uh, really impressed with him throughout the weekend. So we get in the bottom half of the first, and, uh, you know, Bulldogs, we get a, we get a strikeout swinging with Skinner. I st- I, I'm still a little bit concerned about him in a leadoff spot. He hadn't had a lot of experience. We're kind of throwing him to the wolves and kind of hoping for the best. But he is a guy, once he gets on base, is absolutely electric. So he, he, he strikes out. Then we get a ground out of the pitcher by Rowdy. T.A. is hit by the pitch. And then Cam James barrels one up but lines out to left field. So nothing doing for either team there in the first. That was kind of the case for the first couple of innings, really, to be honest with you. We go out, Will again, a 1-2-3 inning, two Ks in the second. And then we go 1-2-3 in the second uh, grounded out some balls, and a lot of that too is because uh, Stop throws a pretty good sinker. We've seen some of that, and uh, it looks like a fastball coming out of the hand, but it's got some downward action. So you're hitting the top half of the baseball and beat it in the ground. We got to get better at that. We got to be able to hit the ball up. We got to be able to get those bad angles right. Bednar again goes one, two, three there in the third, a couple of K's again, and nobody really hitting him hard. One, two ball count here. And the other two were uh, three-pitch Ks. Outstanding effort. And, again, a lot of swing and miss with him. We get into the third. We go one, two, three again. Grounding out again. Two ground outs and a K. And then we get to the fourth. And this is when the ball game, you know, probably the, the really biggest offensive threat of the night for Kentucky. And uh, it happened here in the top of four. You get a fly out. And then Rhodes, with his second hit of the night, gets a double on an 0-2 pitch. That's one of the things that kind of surprises you a little bit because you, you, usually Bednar finishes, guys. And then Collette hits a 1-1 pitch over the center field wall to make it a 2-0 ball game. Uh, Collette, again, an outstanding player. Bednar, I thought, really got a little irritated behind that. Uh, bared down, got a couple of Ks to get out of it. One of them did go full count, and that's the thing. It's cool, too. You get all the way to the bottom of the – excuse me – 
you get through the top of four innings and uh, you finally get a full count. Again, all about pitch efficiency. State tries to answer right back in the bottom of four. Rowdy gets on base with a single to right. T.A. strikes out looking. That was a bit of a surprise, too. I don't know if he was expecting a waste pitch there, but they got him on a fastball uh, right there on the inside corner. Cam James then follows with a single to center. So now you've got runners at first and second here with less than two outs. You're thinking, okay, a base hit here. We can kind of climb back in this thing. And uh, Luke Hancock at the plate, and we know what Luke can do. He does ground out to first. We move the runners around second to third, and then Logan Tanner grounds out to third. Nice play by the third baseman there. But um, first pitch swinging, and it felt like, you know what, we didn't need to strand a couple runners, but we felt like with the way Bednar was pitching, you know, he would kind of hold the game in place, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, get to the fifth, and uh, East step reaches on an error by Lane Forsythe. Really just a routine ground ball. And uh, we blew it, and you're going to have that. There's going to be some up and down with young players. But, uh, listen, Forsythe, absolutely our best defensive player on the infield, I believe. But this is one he should have had, and he'll tell you the same thing. But the uh, guy gets on base. Bednar doesn't let it bother him. They get a sack bunt down. Then we get a fly out to center and then a ground out to third. And that's the end of the, uh, the half inning. The side's retired there. So this, the error doesn't come back to bite us. In the fifth, we go one, two, three, and again, grounding out, grounding out, grounding out hitting that sinker, beating it in the ground. We get to the sixth, and this is when State kind of makes some things happen. Uh, so we open up with a walk, and this is when Badnar, you could tell, was starting to show a little bit of fatigue. We get a wild pitch there to send Casper a second. Uh, we finally get Rhodes out. He grounds out to Hatcher on a full count, and then the runner goes to third. We walk Collette intensely. I 100% support that because with less than two outs, you're thinking – even if he elevates a ball somewhere in the outfield, it's going to be a sack fly to put him up 3-0. We get Church to strike out looking. At that point, you kind of felt like we were going to get out of the inning. We do. Anu uh, gets a fielder's choice there, but we do force uh, Colette there at second. So despite the fact that Bednar was beginning to show a little bit of fatigue and he did have the one walk there, we were able to kind of work around that. We get into the bottom of six, and this is where I think we see the Braywin Skinner effect, right? They walk him on four pitches, which, what's incredible, Stoop, I think, had walked four hitters the entire season before this at bat. And you walk Skinner to open up the inning, and then Rowdy follows with a single. What do you know? Rowdy Jordan starting to get going a little bit here. So Rowdy gets a single. You got runners at first and second. T.A. singles to right, drives in a run, and that's that crazy play that you guys have seen Braywin Skinner kind of making the Euro step dive and uh, the throw to the catcher from right field. And I give the right fielder a lot of credit. He really came up firing, takes that ball on the run, has the crow hop. The throw just happened to run up the line a little bit, which kind of had the catcher kind of having to reposition. So he has to pull left, which allows Skinner to get in beside him. Uh, and it's just a great play. I mean, and listen, our, our social media people, I know we've made some uh, new hires in the marketing department there to kind of handle social media. We have hit a new level with that. I mean, it is tremendous the last couple of weeks, the work those people are doing. And that Braywin Skinner sequence was outstanding. So they reviewed the play at home. He's safe. And really, I don't blame them for reviewing that, but it was obvious he was safe. The right call was made. Camp James absolutely murders a pitch right at the third baseman. And again, Camp's hitting baseball pretty well right now. Uh, they try to double up at first. They don't get T.A. He gets back. They review it. He's fine. And then uh, Hancock, another sack fly to drive in another run. 
So now the game is tied. It's a 2-2 ball game, and you know Bednar's coming out, but you say, you know what, he's got us into the seventh inning, and uh, we can feel pretty good about that with the way that our, our bullpen is working. Cam Tuller comes in and was outstanding, and that's one of those things, too, with him. He's not a household name yet, but it seems like every time we tried him out there, you know, he had a little uh, kind of a rough outing out in Texas, but ever since then, uh, he has been outstanding. Cam gets a one, two, three inning, a line out, a fly out, and a ground out. And again, you're pitching the contact there. That's about pitch efficiency. Make them hit your pitch, get themselves out. It's a one, two, three inning. We get out of there. We get into the seventh. We get a fly out. We get a K. And then Forsyth singles to left field. One of the guys around me brought this up. You know, we talk about, it may have been Joe Coleman. We talked about this. You know, when Logan Tanner left the lineup and, and left the program, and, and you hate that because he is such a good kid, um, Landon Jordan, excuse me. So when Landon leaves the program, everybody's like, well, you know, he didn't do anything to lose the job. And he didn't. He didn't. He's just not quite as talented as the other guys that have replaced him. You need Cam James bat in the lineup. You need Forsyth's glove in the lineup. But here's the deal is in, in the net change of this deal, I really think that Forsyth's bat has been better than Landon Jordan's. I don't know that I expected that to happen, but that's been the case. Now, yeah, he's had some at-bats sometimes where he, you know, he's chasing pitches, but more times than not, the kid has done a good job defensively and offensively, and I think he's a guy that will be around for a long time. I think he'll be a good, do a good job for State. I don't think he's a pro prospect at this point. Probably be here three or four years. I don't think he's a guy that will look to leave early. Forsyth gets a single, and then Skinner grounds out the first unassisted. We don't get anything going there, but now again, it is a 2-2 ball game. And as we're getting down to the final two innings, a lot of people are thinking, well, maybe this is it. You know, maybe we're going to go at extra innings. You bring in Landon Sims, who gets a K looking on three pitches, a ground out to shortstop, and then gets Rhodes to strike out swinging on three pitches. We talk about pitch efficiency. You can't do it, you can't do it much better than that. Uh, we get into the eighth here, and this is just good situational hitting. And I wrote about this over on Gene's page. This is the thing I love about, about Luke Hancock. This is a guy that does the little things. He doesn't always fill up the box score, but, you know, I think going into uh, Sunday, to Saturday's game, he had struck out seven times. The average Bulldog starter has struck out 13, almost 14 times on the course of a season, and there's Luke getting half of that. Led, leads a team in home runs and walks, and then it's not striking out. That's a guy you wanted to play in RBI situations. I understand why we have him at fifth, but I tell you, that's a guy too sometimes I wonder why he's not hitting second. All right, so Rowdy gets it going, and again, here we go again. Rowdy Jordan starting to hit. Rowdy Jordan singles to right field on the very first pitch. T.A.'s in hit by the pitch. They pull stop. And then T.A. Uh, goes to second a wild pitch. Rowdy goes to third. Now you've got runners at second and third with nobody out. Cam James fouls out to the first baseman. Not, not a productive out there. But then Luke Hancock steps up. Craziness ensues here uh, with the, uh, you know, the fly out there to, uh, to right field to allow what, what proved to be the winning run to score. And so, again, that's great situational hitting. That's a guy not trying to do too much. A guy that's got a good approach, and that's exactly what we talked to Luke about in the post game. Is you know, what are you thinking about there? And he goes, you know what, I'm just – listen, I'm sitting there looking for a fastball because the very first pitch, you know, was a breaking ball that went all the way to the screen. He can't afford to, you know, make a mistake there. You know, we thought he might, he might even walk him to load the bases to set up a force at any base. They don't. Probably a mistake, and in hindsight, you could call it a mistake. 
but he absolutely murders that pitch, gets it up in the air, elevates it, and then it runs home. And again, that's a sack fly. Doesn't help the batting average, but it helps a team. That's one of the things I love about Luke Hancock. He is a team first guy. He does the things that helps the team move. Love his approach to the plate. Love his approach to the game. He's just a good old boy from Houston, Mississippi. He does exactly what we need him to do. So, Sims comes back out for the ninth. And uh, we initially, we right out of the gate, we give up the uh, the single to Colette. And, you know, I, I've always joked that, uh, you know, when the first guy reaches, it's like 776,000% of the time they come around to score. So, when that happened, I thought, well, here we go. But uh, Sims didn't agree with me. So we get a uh, we get a sack bunt down to move the runner to second, and uh, then they get the infield hit there, and you're thinking, okay, here we go, here we go, we're in trouble. And the single to shortstop was a drop pop fly. Now this can't happen. All right. Now one of the things that I'll say about that, you know, when you're watching it live, you never know who's doing what. But looking at the replay, you know, it looked to me like Forsyth's calling the ball. I am completely okay with that because he is a shortstop. He's a captain in the infield. However, if you call it, you got to catch it. The flip side of that is, is I really need my seniors to step up and make a play there, whether it's Hatcher, whether it's DeBrule, because uh, theoretically that should be Scotty DeBrule's ball. It is a pop-up just right of the mound, more towards second base. He's got to make that play. And I was disappointed that happened. Like all of you, it's like, you know what, why, why, are, why are we not able to fill pop-ups? Why, why has this happened? You know, we had the one between DeBrule and T.A. that fell uh, at LSU. Then we had one uh, against Arkansas that basically opened up the floodgates. They hit a three-run bomb behind it. This time we're able to escape because Landon Sims kind of calms everybody down and says, hey, baby, we got it. We got it. What happens very next pitch, you get a ground ball back to, to uh, Sims and uh, – he goes to second. We turn the double play. Ball game is over. State wins 3-2. And a lot of people say, well, you know, we got lucky. No, we didn't. We executed. There's a difference. And that's one of the things that we have become very skilled at is winning these close ball games. When it boils down to the bullpen, nine times out of ten, we're going to win. And when you got Landon Sims out there rolling out there with the white snake, I don't know how you can lose. So, good decision to use him. Other people say, you know, Steve, are we using him as efficiently as we should? You know, if we're in Omaha or we're in a regional, you probably see him a couple times on the weekend. But you know what? you got to get some other guys some work. You have to get some other guys some work. And in this situation here, you know, Landon goes out and was really efficient with his pitches and probably could have come back on Saturday. But we win the game on Friday, and I keep getting my, my days confused because I'm not used to this Thursday, Friday, Saturday schedule. But we win game two, and at that point, we're just wanting to get the sweep, right? There have been so many times over the last five years, you know, we win the first couple of all games and aren't able to close the deal. And so we get into Saturday, and I'll be honest with you, just walking into the ballpark, it felt like it was going to be a good day. Just, just one of those things that was just a Christmas in the air. I said, you know what, this is going to be good. I get into the gate, and they're playing Dr. Feelgood from Motley, and I said, you know what, it's going to be a great day. I mean, how, how cool is this Bulldog baseball and some Motley Crew on a Saturday, knowing that I got a Sunday off? What could be better? And then we get up there to the meal, and uh, Mike Nemeth gives me his bag of chips, and I open up my, my pregame meal, and lo and behold, I got two desserts in there. I'm thinking, you know, how can we lose? What a great start to the day. Bulldogs did their part to uh, ensure that the day was not ruined, thankfully. Let's get into game three. 
Kentucky throwing their normal Saturday guy, Zach Lee. That's what they did. They threw off on Thursday and kept their Friday and Saturday guys on schedule. We're throwing Jackson Fristo, who I think has really been outstanding for us. I mean, I think that guy is a future Friday night guy for us. Uh, I love the fact this kid's got so much moxie already. He feels like he deserves to be on the weekend, and he is pitching accordingly. Now, of course, we didn't get off to the best start, right? <laughs> we walked the first guy on four pitches, Schultz, who is a great base dealer. Colette then flies out to right field, and then we get Rhodes swinging on a busted hit and run. So it's a strike him out, throw him out, which was the first caught stealing of the year for Kentucky. I researched that prior to the weekend because I said, you know, that's, that's kind of astonishing to think that uh, they're 100%. We talked about that uh, earlier uh, last week, kind of letting you guys know they're going to run the bases a little bit. They did not attempt a stolen base on Thursday or Friday. They finally give it a shot on Saturday and try Logan Tanner on for size, and he absolutely gasses a guy. And a great tag by Tanner Leggett there at second. Really did a nice job there. And so we're out of there with a double play, and but more importantly, there's a big statement that's been made there. It's like, you know what, yeah, we, we want to run the bases, and we haven't done it. We've kind of been uncharacteristically quiet on the base paths. So we're going to take a shot early in the ballgame and see if we can't make something happen. And then Logan absolutely just takes that away from them. So we come out, and we, uh, you know, Skinner strikes out swinging on a full count. And, again, I like a leadoff guy that will work the count early on. I don't like all this first pitch swinging with the leadoff guy in the first inning. I want to see the pitcher work a little bit and kind of see what he's working with, what he can throw for strikes, how good does that breaking ball look. And so Braywin does a good job working the count here. But listen, when it's a full count, if it's anywhere close, he's swinging. And sometimes you can say that's the right thing, but sometimes he does swing at ball four. I think once he gets a few more reps and some more in-game at-bats, that you'll see some of that get better. Uh, Rowdy then triples to center field. One of those crazy things where a ball is lost in the sun. We joked around about that, but it was a high sky, and that sun was just beating down on folks. And so Rowdy gets a triple. We make them pay for it. T.A. flies out to right field. Sack fly there. It's a one up the ball game, and then Cam flies out. Well, the sun uh, giveth and the sun taketh, because right back in the second inning, the top of second, the, basically the same thing happens to us. Uh, Kessler flies out. I knew that they, in the box score is a double. It was a pop fly behind third that Lane Forsyth lost in the sun. And, again, that's not a criticism of him. It was just that kind of day. Uh, and then Church flies out to left field. E-step singles up the middle, and they score the run. And so both runs for each team were sun-aided. We talk about wind-aided. You know, I, I do a little wind report on Twitter before the ball games. Maybe I need to start doing a sun report too. Now that we're going to start having more clear skies out here. But both runs, our first run, their first run, both guys reach on balls that should have been caught. They were lost in the sun and ultimately come around to score. It's crazy how it happened, but uh, it was even for both teams. Well, Luke gets it right back, murders the first pitch he sees, and it one-hopped the stadium. What I mean by that is it cleared the student section out right field, took one hop, and then left the park. An absolute tank there for him. And then uh, Logan Tanner gets a double. And so it felt like, you know what, we had Lee in trouble. Then Hatcher grounds out to the short. Tanner's able to take third. Leggett isn't hit by the pitch. So we got runners on first and third. And what happens? The young kid, Forsyth, singles to the left side, 
drives in a run. Now we've got runners at first and second. So we've picked up two runs in the inning. And then uh, Skinner puts the ball in play on the very first pitch, and they force force up that at second. But then that change here is that we have taken a lead. You know, we've gone from up 1-0 to tied 1-1 to now we're up 3-1 there in the second. And so Fristo, with a couple runs to work with, you just kind of felt like, you know what, this kid should be okay. And he absolutely was. We get into the third, and uh, we pitched around a walk here, but you get a couple of Ks. You get one swing and one looking, and uh, we do have the walk to Colette. I think that was one of those unintentional, intentional walks. It's like, you know what, we're not going to give you anything to hit. And if we end up walking, you were okay with that, especially with a two-run lead. And then Rhodes pops out to second, and Tanner Leggett caught that pop fly like a champ. It had been a, it had been a struggle for everybody else. And Tanner's like, guys, I got it. He called it immediately. Settled under it, had the glasses down. There was no anxiety at all with that. So good on you, Tanner Leggett. Bottom of third, we go one, two, three in the inning there. Again, putting the ball in play, but we're just not getting through with that big base hit just yet to kind of break this game open. Again, putting it in play, not doing much with it. Fristo gets a one, two, three inning in the fourth. And then uh, Logan Tanner comes out there and just kind of pokes one up into the Atkerson Plaza up there just inside the uh, the right field fair pole out there to make it a three uh, excuse me a four one ball game and that off the bat I thought that thing was probably off the wall and it just kept going and going and going and going there was barely any wind uh, on Saturday at Duty Noble but uh, yeah we'll take it and that's one thing too I think about when I look at that right field porch I'm thinking you know, we ought to be able to get a lot of left handed hitters uh, that want to hit big numbers here. So Hatcher grounds out, Leggett singles up the middle. Again, Tanner Leggett making the most of his opportunity. I believe he was on base his first three times. We had a, uh, let's see, a, hit by pit, a couple hit-by-pitches and a single maybe. Forsyth strikes out swinging, and then Skinner grounds out the first unassisted. But again, State does some damage there, kind of moving the game along. We get to the fifth. Cumbus comes in for Skinner, and so I asked about this in postgame just because I was curious. I know you guys are a little bit worried maybe perhaps that that knee injury had kind of popped up again because you remember he got beamed on the knee last weekend, had to leave the ball game. This was completely unrelated. He just felt like he tweaked a little bit of a hamstring, and rather than push the issue, they put Cumbus out there, and uh, Chris Lamontis expects Skinner to be fine this week. He, he may not play against Southern on Tuesday, but uh, he'll be good to go as we get ready to go to Auburn. So we're trying to extend the starters a little bit. And uh, so Fristo, I thought, was really good early on in here and then began to kind of wear just a little bit. We get a couple of Ks, and then we walk Hill on four pitches. And then Schultz doubles to right center to drive in the run. So now all of a sudden it is a 4-2 ball game. We walk Collette again, and then we get Shelby, who came in uh, for Rhodes as a substitution there, and we get him to K to end the inning. And that ended the day for Fristo. But, again, I thought he pitched well enough to win the ball game, and he was credited with the win. Really thought he did a nice job. And we want these guys to go a little bit deeper in ball games. We got that from everybody this weekend, McLeod, Bednar, and Fristo. So you're starting to see the SEC weekend rotation not just settle in name and settle in role, but you're beginning to see these guys work deeper in the ball games. And as good as we are in the pen, we can kind of piece it together uh, those final three innings. If we can get, you know, we'd like to get six, but you know, if all we can get is five, we'll take it. But uh, everybody, I thought 
pitched really well. We had three quality starts over the weekend. It was a big part of winning these these uh, three games. So we get into our half, the bottom half of the, the fifth, and Rowdy reaches on an error by the center fielder, just bounced off his glove, another one that got lost in the sun. And then we get a ground out, line out, and a ground out. So we're not able to do anything with the error there uh, and the leadoff base runner. But we get to the six there, and the game really kind of slowed down from here. You bring in Preston Johnson, who I think is kind of an unsung hero on this team. I think he, he is more electric with his stuff than people fully appreciate. This is a guy that's going to get a lot of swing and miss. He's, he throws a heavy ball, so he does get a lot of ground balls. Really like him getting under bats. I think that he is a guy that will be a big factor on weekends. He does give up the single, but then you get a double play. We just talked about that heavy ball, right? And then we get a fly out to center. And so we're out of that thing with just the minimum number of hitters. And then we go in the sixth and uh, get a couple of Ks. Leggett's hit by the pitch and then Forsyth grounds out to second. So nothing doing for the Bulldogs. We get to the seventh. And, again, you know, Preston Johnson's still right back out there. We just need him to give us a couple of innings, right? And that's exactly what he does. You get a strikeout looking. You get a ground out the first. And uh, one of us, this is a crazy play, too, where they had the, uh, the bunt down. And then the runner runs inside the first baseline. And we had some of this discussion in the press box, and I don't say this to be critical of anybody. But there are a lot of people, again, this way. Well, he was in the baseline. He was left of the baseline. And so it was an intentional act to try to cut down the angle of the throw. And so the ball hits him in the back. And, it, you know, if he's running right of the baseline, if he's right of it, you know, they, they have a second line out there right, to give you a running lane. And if you're outside of that, or excuse me, if you're inside the running lane, more towards left, the left side of the, of the first baseline, and the ball hits you, you are out. The um, home plate umpire was on it immediately. They reviewed it. The call stood. It was the right call. I do believe it was a deliberate act. But you know what? That's part of baseball. Sometimes you got to kind of push the issue a little bit. Sometimes you get called. Sometimes you don't. You know, if the ball doesn't hit him, you know, he's, he's safe. I think he was going to beat it out. But that they make the call there, and then you get Hill swinging. So great job by Preston Johnson to kind of come in and just kind of hold the game there. They you know, they bring in Marsh, and uh, we, I thought we might get to him. We didn't. Uh, Cumbus pops up the second, and then Rowdy flies out. Allen then follows with a single, and then uh, they throw the ball into the, the bullpen. I mean, the first baseman wasn't even looking for the ball, and Marsh throws it over everybody's head. And then Cam James flies out to left on an 0-2 count. So we don't do anything with it. We strand another runner. But we still feel like, you know what, we got a 4-2 lead here. We're probably okay. We get into the eighth here. And this is one of those things that kind of irritates me just a little bit. You know, I, I don't like to see these, uh, you know, these uh, little league travel team baseball plays work. But it's going to be in the scouting report from now on. Okay. So I'm going to get to that shortly. So Schultz. Uh, singles to the left side, and then you make the call. You bring in Houston Harding to pitch to the left-hander Colette. So it's lefty on lefty there. In the very first pitch he sees, he knocks right down the first baseline, bounces off the, uh, I guess, the corner out there and kind of kicks into the outfield. And so now I've got runners at first and third. You pull Harding because you're trying to set up a righty-righty matchup. So Price comes in. And uh, does a good job. This ball wasn't hit hard enough for us to get the double play, but he makes him hit a slider, and he hits the ball to third. We try to turn it, just not hit quite hard enough, and especially to get a guy like Shelby – excuse me, getting uh, Shelby down the line there. Uh, 
So then they run this little uh, little league play, you know, where – and you'd like to say, well, you know, Cam Taller comes in, we've got him picked off. I, I don't believe I, – I don't believe that they actually uh, picked him off there. I think they gave themselves up trying to steal a run at home, which is exactly what they did. And so you got because you got a left-handed pitcher up there, so of course if he sees the guy break, he's just going to throw over. He's looking right at him. That's what happens, and he gets caught in the rundown. We weren't especially efficient in the rundown there, but we made sure we got the out. But then they steal a run, and I'm sure if I'm Nick Mangione, I'm thinking, hey, I got runners on the corners here. I got to find a way to get one here, and then if that gets me to the ninth then that gives me new life. We'll just see what happens. And so, you know, tip of the cap to you, Mingion. We got to do a better job than us running down. That's twice this year where a guy from first, going from first to second has gotten in a rundown and it's allowed the run to score from third. You know, that's really the play you want, right? I mean, it's like you don't necessarily want that out between first and second. You want to be able to get the lead runner. And neither time have we done that. Now, of course, if we throw the ball away going home and all of a sudden the guy scores and the next guy goes to second, possibly even third, then, you know, it's like a circus has come to town. But we're Mississippi State baseball, okay? We're, we're not, you know, we're not bug tussle high school out there, you know, playing, uh, you know, 1B baseball hoping for the best. These are drills that we run all the time, and you got to be able to execute them in a ball game. So, so they steal a run there, and again, I think – our own inability to manage that situation really contributed to that, all right? And so, again, we win a ball game here, but I think it's important to kind of learn a lesson because there will be a time probably late, maybe you get in an SEC tournament or regional somewhere and somebody's just trying to get a run uh, to, to inch it a little bit closer, and they're willing to give you that out between first and second. They're willing to get that trail runner to run down to give you the out to get the run home. You know what? And We'd all make that trade, right? So now it's a 4-3 ball game. We get to bottom eight. Uh, Hancock hit by the pitch. You're thinking, you know what, we're going to be able to get this guy here, Strickland, to come in. And then Tanner strikes out swinging on a 2-2 uh, count. Hancock still second clean. And then Hatcher lines into a double play. He absolutely murders the baseball there. And I think Luke just thought the ball was going to get down, but he didn't. They were able to double him off pretty, double him off pretty easily. Uh, we get to the ninth, and a lot of people said, you know what, here comes Sims, here comes Sims. But instead, it's Parker Stanett. Now, I know a lot of people question this, and, of course, you've got the gift of hindsight now. You know, you don't want to be all arm-weary with Landon Sims. Because what are you going to do, you know, if Landon has to go two or three innings on a Friday or on a Saturday? You can't trot him right back out there the next day. And so you may need to give him a day's rest. And so you got to, I think you've got to put Parker Stanett in some of these situations and see how he responds. Well, this time he did a really good job. So you get the ground out to the pitcher, and then you, again, like we talked about, when the first guy gets on base in the ninth, it seems like 776,000 percent of the time he comes around to score. Usually, when you get that first guy, it's like it all just kind of snowballs and you get on out of there. That's not what happened for us. So we get the ground out, and then there's a fielding error at third. So now all of a sudden, you've got the tying run on base. East step then uh, you know grounds out, and uh, we're able to kind of cut a guy down there. But then we give the wild pitch and let Eastep go to second. So now the tying run is at second. And then we walk the go-ahead run, Ritter, on a full count. I thought we got squeezed a little bit there. But I also think, too, that the moment might have been a little bit much for Parker. But he responded and struck out Hill on three pitches. And a lot of people you will say, oh, I didn't think there was much on a check swing. When I saw the replay – 
from the outfield camera. I agree. That's how it looked from that camera. From the side, he clearly went. Now, he did a good job kind of holding his wrist, not trying to break his wrist there, but the, uh, the bat did clear the plane of the plate. It was the right call. They didn't like it, but it was the right call, and good for Parker Stinnett. He'll only be better from this experience. Now, did he go out there and strike out the side of the ninth? No, he didn't. But you know what? He got the first out, and then he had an error, and the next thing you know, it kind of gets to you a little bit because I don't care who you are where you're from. You know, when you go out there and roll a ground ball, and the next thing you know, the time runs on base through no fault of your own, you're going to have some issues. And it's going to take some time to kind of mentally prepare and get through that. He's not Landon Sims yet, okay? He's got that hammer curve, as he showed uh, to Hill there. But uh, the bottom line is we win all three, and again, we've become pretty skilled at staying in ball games and winning them late because when it boils down to battle of bullpen, we're going to win that more times than not. And great job for the Bulldogs to get the sweep and kind of climb back into this race for the SEC West. As we mentioned at the top of the show, as we look around the league here, Auburn wins the Friday game at Arkansas at Bomb Stadium. Had a chance to take the series, just couldn't close the deal. Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now 
And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. And then, of course, they lose in the 10th on uh, Saturday in game three, a game that Auburn was up 5 and nothing in. Yeah, that Auburn bullpen is a little bit shaky. They did get some good pitch over the weekend. Greenhill, I think, went seven innings on that uh, Thursday ball game, uh, the game they won. So, you know, we'll see him. You know, Fitz is kind of rounding back into form. So, Auburn starting pitching is going to be good. And I, I really think that our ball games down there are going to be similar to what we saw this weekend with Kentucky. I think it's going to be up managing the game, moving runners, kind of making them pay when they make a mistake, and then, you know, being efficient yourself. We know what kind of pitching coach Butch Thompson is. He'll have his guys ready to go. They'll be prepared. They'll have a good scouting report for sure. But Arkansas survives. They take two out of three on the weekend. So they'll stay, you know, they'll stay pretty much where they are in the rankings. Uh, Auburn now 12 and 13 overall, one and eight in the league. But again, probably a pretty dangerous 12 and 13 team, to be honest, because I'm sure they're going to be playing with a lot more confidence. You know, they, they go down, go on the road to one of the top teams in the country and they win a ball game, and I'm sure on their bus ride back are thinking, you know what, those guys aren't better than us. We blew it. We lost the game. They didn't win it. We lost it. That's how I feel about it too. You go out there and you get a couple of pitches you here or there, you don't elevate a couple of things, the next thing you know you win the ball game. But, you know, give Arkansas some credit. You know, they're down 5 nothing in game three and they battle back and win the ball game 6-5 and a tenth. That's the thing about Arkansas I keep telling folks. about Again, people think I'm trolling. Arkansas is the most complete team in the league. They are. They absolutely are, at least at this point. 22-4 and four and 7-2 and two overall. A lot of people say, well, Vanderbilt is. I think you could get Vanderbilt on a Sunday. Arkansas is going to win those church league softball games because they can swing the bat. All right, let's get a little deeper into this thing. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but um, Vanderbilt went down to Baton Rouge and swept LSU. Now, I think when the schedule first came out, I was probably thinking, you know what, LSU might be able to get one. That'll be big for us because anytime that somebody can take a game from Vandy and keep them from sweeping, that kind of keeps them closer to the pack. You know, we want them to be one striking distance so we get ready to go up there. But uh, LSU didn't do it. And uh, bigger news for LSU, Jaden Hill, who, moved, who went from, uh, I guess, Thursday to Friday, to game two for them, left in a second inning with an impaired arm injury that Paul Maneri labeled heartbreaking in his post-game press conference. An MRI is scheduled for Monday. The worst is feared, and you hate that for a guy like Jaden Hill. Everybody that I've talked to down there tells me what a good guy he is, and, and there's a lot of that in college baseball. But here's the thing, good guy or not, you know, when you know a guy is expected to be projected to go in the first round, potentially in the first ten picks – and then all of a sudden the guy tears the UCL, you know, he's not going to be in the top five picks. Now, there are a lot of people in MLB draft circles that will tell you nobody's scared of Tommy John anymore. And there's some truth in that. But that doesn't mean you're going to take a guy in the first ten picks. And so that's some uh, economic free fall there for him. And so LSU off to their worst start in the SEC since 1969. Think about that. That's historically bad. They're 1-8 in the league, and the one was against us in a ball game that we kind of gave away. But you kind of understand my point here is that you're 1-8 now, and now you've lost one of your top two starters. So now you're going to have to throw Marceau on Friday. And I just don't know if offensively there's enough in that lineup 
to win those ball games. So now all of a sudden, do you move Labus up to Saturday? Do you throw somebody else on Sunday, one of your young guys? There's a lot of decisions that Paul Maneri is going to have to make, but uh, this is shaping up to be a very difficult season for LSU. We expected them to take a step back, and people, a lot of people in Baton Rouge scoffed when the coaches picked LSU fourth in the West behind Ole Miss State and Arkansas. You know, we all knew that they had lost a lot. And then what happens at LSU sometimes is they delude themselves into thinking, well, you know, we've got all these guys coming to school. We've got all these guys that are supposed to be drafted coming to school. And sometimes it works. But here's the thing that I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate is, you know, here in the last 10 years, the SEC has gotten a lot better, a lot better. And so especially the teams in the West, I mean, think about this for a second. What just two years ago, Auburn was in Omaha with us. We've been the last two times. You know, Ole Miss has been super regionals, you know, you know, I guess two out of the last three years. And so there's just not a lot of, you know, wins you're going to pick up. You know, Arkansas has been to Omaha the last two years with us. They played for an NFL championship, man, back in uh, 18. And so LSU, in many ways, has kind of lost their spot in the pecking order. And so it's not the big deal anymore, you know, to get that big LSU offer – like maybe it was 10, 15 years ago. And that's not – those Louisiana kids, it's a different deal. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a cult. And I mean that in the most positive way possible. But nowadays, you know, it's like, well, I can go play big-time SEC baseball at Arkansas. I can go play big-time baseball at Ole Miss or Mississippi State. You know, I can go to, you know, to Tennessee now, you know, which Tennessee's not on the same level. But you kind of understand my point is that – LSU no longer has a corner of the market on SEC baseball. They're not the destination they once were. That's not to take anything away from LSU. LSU is still great. They're still who we're chasing. But what's happened, I believe, is since Andy Cannizzaro has left, that their recruiting has died down a little bit. Because it's not necessarily – listen, anybody can go out there and get those kids that are uh, using college baseball for leverage for the MLB draft, and all of a sudden, oh, we've got five first-rounders in our class. Okay, cool. If they don't come to school, it doesn't mean anything. I think Andy's one of those guys, too, that could kind of sell those guys on, you know what, yeah, you could go and be a second or third rounder. If you come back, you'll be a first-rounder, and, and, you know, you'll never have to work again outside of Major League Baseball. And so if, if, you, if you want to look at when LSU really began to fade, it's when Andy Cannizzaro left to come to Mississippi State. And I know there's a lot of people that have some hot takes about Andy Cannizzaro, but there's no doubt about the fact the guy could coach hitting and the guy could recruit. And a relentless recruiter. And I don't think that LSU has been able to replace that energy. And I think they're paying for it now. Florida takes two out of three from Ole Miss. That was, that's, good, that's good for Mississippi State. Number one, we don't play Florida, but two, again, they put a couple losses on Ole Miss. It also keeps Twitter pretty quiet, too. Uh, Florida wins the third game basically by throwing their shortstop for uh, nearly two innings. Florida, I don't know how Florida runs out of pitching. I, I, I don't understand it. I, I, I haven't dug into it. But how does a, a program like Florida ever have to depend on a shortstop to go out there and pitch a couple innings in an SEC weekend, and then they win? The guy's able to get a hold there, and uh, they turned it over to a guy that I think had like an a 11 ERA, and then he holds Ole Miss down, and they win it. And uh, and listen, Florida had the lead in game, game two, just couldn't hold it. But, again, that's a big deal. 
you know, it's a thing that I said all along about one of the reasons that I thought State would finish higher than Ole Miss in, in the standings is because the schedule for State is a little more favorable. We get Kentucky, Mizzou, you know, and uh, they got to deal with Florida. And so when you begin to kind of break this thing down, even if State and Ole Miss are, are somewhat comparable teams, the schedule is more favorable to Mississippi State. We have to make that mean something, though. Tennessee uh, really struggled at times this weekend, but found a way to take two out of three from Alabama. And, uh, you know, Tennessee, of course, swept OSU last weekend. Alabama should have won this thing. They ended up giving up four runs in the, in the top of the 11th uh, to lose the ballgame on Friday. But, uh, you know, Alabama, we expected them to be better. What's the, the problem that Alabama's having is on the back end, they're not able to close out games. They're able to compete for a while, and they're getting decent starting pitching more times than not, but they're not able to hold leads because they just don't have the pieces on the back end. And that's what costs them in that second game against Tennessee. Because you, you, you think you're good, next thing you know, you're losing in 11. And, you, and that's the extra inning games are not good for Alabama. They really thin you out. South Carolina, pretty good week for those guys. They uh, win the midweek game and then take two of three from Georgia. Uh, pretty big statement. You know, I don't think Georgia's a great team. That Georgia's got great pitching. But, you know, if you're South Carolina and you're trying to kind of get this thing back on track, that's a series you got to win. You absolutely have to win that when they do. Uh, and, listen, Georgia's not a great team, 18-9 and nine overall, 3-6 and six in the league. They did go beat Clemson this week, but, uh, you know, come back and lose, you know, two out of three. Those are the things you look at, too. It's a road series win for South Carolina, one they're feeling good about. They're now 6-3 and three in the league. you got some big games coming up, but I'm sure they feel good about that. Probably the biggest surprise of the weekend in a Southeastern Conference is Missouri winning the series against A&M. Missouri is not a good baseball team. A&M is very average, and I think it shows, and I will not be surprised if they make a coaching change down there. Mizzou, 10-17. and 17. And they picked up a couple of wins this weekend. You know, that's just insane to think about. They picked one up, they picked one off against Kentucky, and they get two out of three against against AM. AM absolutely drilled them in the first game. And then Mizzou bounces right back and uh, wins the last two. And neither of those games were close. I think they were eight, two, seven, one, something like that. Uh, they really just kind of coasted to those wins and the book on A&M is, is they are limited offensively again, and then they're limited pitching-wise again. you got signs out there on Friday, but uh, they just don't have the arms. They don't, there's no Lacey out there uh, anymore for those guys. Asa Lacey was a dominant guy, and I'm glad to see him out of the league. You're good luck in the pros, kid. But, uh, you know, the, and we're going to play both of these teams. And now you begin to look at these things. Okay, we should win those series but we might even be able to sweep those series. Those are things you kind of get excited about now because we get both of those things at home. We've got to find a way to pick off these teams in the bottom half of the league. And I don't think anybody expected A&M to be especially resurgent this year. But I don't think anybody thought they'd be as bad as they have been. They're 19-11 and 3-6 and in the league. And you remember early on they had some horrendous losses. And so their RPI is just absolutely pathetic. But that's a look around the league. And uh, Bulldogs will be back in action Tuesday evening, uh, 6.30, I believe, is first pitch against Southern University, their first visit to Duty Noble Field since they were here in the regional uh, a couple years ago. You know, they were here when we had, uh, you know, Miami. And so looking forward to seeing the Jags again. They're going to be well coached. 
you know, they, they've done pretty well in their league. I think they're eight and three in their league. They haven't been especially good uh, overall, but you, you kind of expect that. But they, they, listen, they schedule kind of heavy in the non-conference to get ready for their league. And Southern has a really good chance to win the SWAC this year. So this is probably an NCAA regional team. And hopefully we can hit that midweek pitching hard. But it always seems they bring a when – when a SWAC team comes in, it's like they have some guy throwing about 81, 82, and we get off on our front foot a little bit. So it would be nice for us to get out here and take care of business pretty early on. Today's top ten list brought to you by Johnny Packer Eyewear. Johnny Packer Eyewear. You can find more about Johnny Packer Eyewear by going to johnnypacker.com. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y. P-A-C-K-E-R, johnnypacker.com. There were some baseball players at Duty Noble Field this weekend that could have benefited with johnnypacker.com. That high sky out there, right? Losing balls in the sun. It won't happen. See, Johnny Packer eyewear is the Hollywood style with a little golden triangle flare. One of the cool things, too, is part of every sale, a proceed from every purchase goes directly to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. This is a cause that I can absolutely get behind. I've had a lot of experience with CF over the years, none personally, but uh, was part of a company that was very, very involved with fundraising for CF. So we got to know some of those families, and you know, we'd write that big check every year, and then all of a sudden there'd be people within our community that would turn out that were affected by CF. And, uh, and so I was very ha- happy to partner with these guys. And listen, the styles are outstanding. Go to johnnypacker.com, and, and you can pick, you know, the, go to the catalog. And uh, they're actually, they've had a, a pretty solid run here as of late. So thank you, Boneyard listeners, uh, for reaching out. Some outstanding frames here. They have run short of a couple things, but they tell me that a new shipment is on the way. The Greenwood frames for females, very, very hot. Completely sold out right now, but they're replenishing that stock. So, again, go to johnnypacker.com today. Check those out. Oh, I guess you probably got a dozen or more frames to choose from. And listen, you're going to need those sunglasses anyway because the sun is here, right? It it is going to be sunshiny day. But if you're going to spend that kind of money on sunglasses, why not get some that also benefit a great cause? John Packer himself lives with cystic fibrosis and uh, has probably has defied the odds in many respects. So uh, I like to do business with Bulldogs whenever we can. So again, let me encourage you, johnnypacker.com for your sunglass needs. And again, a, por- a portion of every purchase goes to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Outstanding work those guys are doing. Okay, top 10 list, and I think that uh, Johnny Packer would approve. I'm stealing this idea. I've got a bunch, okay? I've got probably eight or nine right now, but you guys keep sending them. Because once once you guys text me and message me, I go ahead and text Roy, and then Roy kind of keeps that on our to-do list. Roy is, uh, has been a great lieutenant in this whole uh, top ten thing. Really, really grateful for Roy. But I stole this idea from Eddie Trunk. Eddie Trunk said, hey, I'm going to need to do a show about this, about all these great albums that came out in 91. You, you may have uh, forgotten, 1991, a huge year in rock music, huge year. It was kind of the end of the, you know, the Hollywood heavy metal scene. And then it was kind of the beginning of grunge. So we had some overlap where you had some established hard rock acts that put out some of their best work. And then you had like some debut and breakthrough albums from some grunge bands. 
And so it was kind of the best of both worlds. It was a great time in music. Now, I'm going to give you some honorable mentions. And before I even start, I know that I'm going to get messages and tweets and dirty comments. And, you know, people may try to short sheet my bed and put sugar in the gas tank and all that sort of stuff. Nirvana is not on my list. And there's I mean, a couple reasons why, let me tell you. Number one, there was one good song on Nevermind. Yeah, I said it. I said it. Smells Like Teen Spirit is a classic song. It is an iconic song. But the rest of that album really wasn't very good. You can say, well, Steve, no, no, there's In Bloom. It's not any good. The lyrics are completely incoherent. And just because it has a catchy bass line, I'm not getting down with that. So I give an honorable mention to Nirvana's Nevermind. If, if you don't like it, start your own show. I don't have it in my top ten. I don't. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I've told you countless times on the show, I do not like Nirvana. I think the best thing that ever came from Nirvana was Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. Not a fan at all. At all. And uh, maybe it's because I was such a fan of uh, 80s metal. And a lot of people kind of falsely attribute the, the rise of grunge to Nirvana, which is completely false. Uh, Soundgarden had already sold millions of albums before Nirvana even had a record deal. So you can, you can miss me with all of that stuff. Go back and listen to Mud Honey and Mother Love Bone and Green River and talk to me about the, the infancy of grunge, screaming trees, people like that. I, I'm not going to listen to it. But Nirvana gets an honorable mention. Also, Matthew Sweet's 100% Fun. I love that album. came out in 1991. And then the Hardlines, uh, Total, excuse me, Double Eclipse. That's another one that uh, Neil Shine from Journey produced that album and, and ended up playing guitar on it. It is a really, really great album that kind of fit that early 90s genre as we were kind of making the transition. So check those guys out if you hadn't. That's Hardline. All right, so here's the top 10 albums from ni- top 10 rock albums from 1991. We might come back uh, Wednesday and do you know, top non-rock albums because there were some really really good ones like cypress hill and uh jodeci and some other bands that came out that were absolutely outstanding so maybe we come back on that with that royal wednesday because 91 was just a great year of music all the way around so here are my favorite albums from 1991 number 10 temple the dog this album didn't reach maximum airplay until 92 but it was recorded in 91 and matter of fact the song that we're going to pick today that we'll put on a spotify list is hunger strike that is the first song that eddie vetter ever sang to in a major recording studio so before pearl jam's album was even recorded eddie vetter had sang on a hunger strike and i want that played at my funeral so if you guys are ever involved in that when i'm gone and i'm sure many of you will outlive me make sure they play hunger strike at the funeral uh, the number nine album on my list is Mama Said by Lenny Kravitz. I'm a huge Lenny Kravitz fan. Love that album. Uh, that's the one that really kind of pulled me in, to be honest with you. I had, Let Love Rule was kind of cool, but I thought it was a little bit hipster for me. And then when um, Always on the Run, which is our, our song that represents that album, when Slash was on there, that collaboration kind of pulled me in. I have every Lenny Kravitz album. I'm a shameless Lenny Kravitz fan. Number eight, and some of you are going to say, Steve, I can't believe you didn't put Nirvana on your list, but you put Mr. Big, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And it's the album Lean Into It 
And that's the one that's got uh, To Be With You. That's going to be our song on the playlist today, To Be With You. And it's a classic song, but I'll tell you, my favorite song on that album, and it's, it goes back and forth. Uh, Alive and Kicking is a great, great rock song. I love Eric Martin's vocals on that track. But probably the song that I think was underappreciated is a song called uh, Green, T- Green Tinted 60s Mind. That's difficult to say. I want to make sure we say Green Tinted there. Green Tinted 60s Mind. Really cool track there. Okay, number seven for me is Gish from Smashing Pumpkins. Love that album. Love the pumpkins. Uh, I went with Rhinoceros. Could have gone a lot of ways with this one. Could have gone with I Am One, but I went with Rhinoceros. I like the vibe on that song. Number six, one of the last great Ozzy records, It's No More Tears. Also the last album that Mike Inez recorded as a bass player for Ozzy before he left for Alice in Chains. That was a great lineup. Randy Castillo on the drums, Zach Wilde on guitar, and uh, Mike Inez on bass. And we're going to go with the title track, No More Tears. Uh, number five, I couldn't pick, so I went with both Use Your Illusion albums. Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 came out. Use Your Illusion 2 debuted at number one on the Billboard Rock on the Billboard chart. And then Use Your Illusion 1 debuted at number two. The, uh, the song that I went with is the classic November Rain. I could have picked probably one of a dozen songs here and been right. Because I love Double Talk and Jive. I love, uh, you know, Right Next Door to Hell, You Could Be Mine, Civil War, 14 Years, all of those songs. I love them all. I think those albums are classics. But I went with November Rain for the Spotify list. Number four, the first heavy metal album to ever debut at number one. A little trivia for you there. And you, you, you probably can't even guess it. But it's Slave to the Grind from Skid Row. That's right. You heard that right. The second album, probably the one that is probably more like who they really are. That first album had like some radio hits on it. They got much heavier on Slave to the Grind. It's one of those albums that I can listen to in its entirety. The song we went with the list today is Monkey Business. Number three, and I think this is probably, some could argue, the best band of the 1990s. It's Pearl Jam's 10, and another one of those classic albums. Could have gone a lot of different directions here. I went Jeremy. I went Jeremy. I think that video is very powerful. It was about school shootings very in the very beginning of all that epidemic in our country. And uh, it's, it's kind of a sad song, but uh, I, love, I love the message in that song. Uh, number two... And I'll be honest with you, I almost talked myself into making this number one, but I don't want to be too much of a Chris Cornell homer, especially when Chris has got two albums on the list. I'm going with Bad Motorfinger from Soundgarden. Bad Motorfinger. And I could, again, I could have gone Jesus Christ Pose here. I could have gone Room uh, 2000 Years Wide. I could have gone Rusty Cage. I just stuck with Outshined because I don't know how you can go wrong with that one. And number one, the best rock album to come out in 1991. And I don't know that anybody could really argue. I know some people say, well, Steve, you're on it. No, it's Metallica. That's right. It's the black album. It's the self-titled album Metallica. That is the best album to come out in 1991. I will fight you over that. You can get out of here with your Nirvana stuff. How could you... I mean, how does Nirvana compare to Metallica? I mean, really, if you're a rock guy, how... Well, like Nirvana better... Yeah, well, just sit up and look at your shoes, put your flannel, your dirty flannel shirt on, and then uh, watch me raise my fist and rock fingers to the gods of rock 
is James Hetfield sings Inner Sandman for us. And you could have gone with several songs off this album. You could have gone uh, Wherever I May Roam, The Unforgiven of Wolf and Man. You could have gone a ton of those. But I went with Inner Sandman because I think it kind of matches the list. So we went with kind of some iconic songs today on our Spotify list. This should be a great list. Be sure to share it with your friends. Uh, but that's the list, the, the top 10 rock albums of 1991. I'm so glad that I was alive when all this stuff came out, and I own every one of these albums and uh, bought them all back then. I remember going to Bebop Record Shop to buy, I stood in line to get Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 and uh, pre-ordered Slave to the Grind from Sound Shop, and my buddy Todd and Francis, oh, what a babe she was, um, had that ready for me. So I bought all these albums, their original pressing, and uh, still got them, and proud to say that I have them. All right, let's talk a little football. Brought to you by Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of the show. Stand to man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. Everybody will take care of you because, in their minds, you're family. Go by, check them out today. And if you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. You would be smart too to follow them on social media because as they get new arrivals like on Instagram and this, most of this, your stuff on Instagram too it's just like you know you're looking at like your friends pictures and you know there's everybody has their you know well hey we, take me back you know, take no no use your Instagram and your Twitter feed for things that are needful and that's the Campus Bookmart stuff go look for it today Campus Bookmart on Twitter and Instagram and then they can kind of keep you apprised of new arrivals. And then you can go to campusbookmart.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Go check them out today, campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. And I can personally attest those black jerseys that they have there are outstanding. Outstanding. All right, so we had a chance to watch a little football scrimmage, and so it's very controlled, okay? So it's not like we went and watched, you know, an actual football game. And so we spent a lot of time watching, like, you know, positional drills and then some special team stuff. And then we have the ones versus the ones, the twos versus the twos, the three versus the threes. And so you're seeing guys you think are somewhat comparable. I really thought that um, – thought Will Rogers was pretty good. Um, and again, you know, we're not attacking the field a lot vertically, at least in the portion that I saw. But I thought Will was smart with the football. Um, I thought Cam Young was outstanding at D tackle, outstanding at D tackle. And you know, talking to some of our coaches, they tell me he's been like a man possessed. It's like he knows this is the year, this is the breakout year for him, where he has an opportunity to make himself some money. He was outstanding, and at times he kind of gave Cole Smith some trouble. There were other times Cole did a good job against him. Uh, Randy Charlton, outstanding on the defensive line. Jordan Davis, outstanding. Had a couple of sacks himself. Uh, offensively, uh, the offensive line is pretty much what we told you guys it would be. You got Charles Cross at left tackle, LaQuinson Sharp at left guard, Cole Smith, uh, Dollar Bill at right guard, that's Quatravius Johnson, and then working uh, Cam Jones at right tackle. Now, the second time the ones came out, it was Scott Lashley working some at right tackle. And I, one of the things that I found out about Scott is Scott prim- primarily has worked out of a right-handed stance most of his career. When he got to Alabama, he had to learn to do both. But he is more comfortable in a right-handed stance. So you will probably see him on the right side of the line when he plays, if that makes sense for you. And so he did get some first-team work 
uh, at right tackle and did pretty good. Now, he, now listen, they're going to be careful with him in the spring. You know, he's back and, and close to 100%. But, uh, you know, people forget, you know, he got, you know, season-ending surgery during camp last year, and, uh, you know, he's competing. Jaquavius Marks, Dylan Johnson, I thought both of them were outstanding. Uh, we didn't run it a whole lot, but uh, I thought Dylan Johnson did a great job on a two-point conversion, just kind of getting running behind his pads and twisting and turning and find a way to get into the end zone. I thought Jaquavius Marks looked really good out of the backfield as a receiver, and you expect that. I mean, he's really, really gotten skilled at that. Uh, expecting him to be a little more of a, a physical runner in the open field, too. And listen, people forget, I mean, what the guys played as true freshmen. They expected to be kind of role players, and then Colin Hill, of course, uh, opts out. So those guys kind of had to grow up pretty fast. Now, on the defensive side of the football, I mentioned you know, before about, you know, Charlton was really good. You, you, basically, you had, you had Crumity, Jordan Davis, um, and then Cam Young out there initially. They rotated a little bit out there, and there were some other times they moved some guys around. You know your corners – uh, Martin Emerson and Forbes, and then the second teamers were the Cambriana Richardson and Esaias Furge. The safeties with the first unit were Fred Peters, Sean Preston, and Colin Duncan. And I thought Colin Duncan was really fast at the football. Uh, Fred is playing the dog safety position. There was some there was some confusion about that. Sean is playing uh, strong safety. Now Jalen Green is running with the second team, which I think is really good. To be honest with you. Uh, because everything I've heard is he's the real deal, but yet he hadn't had first-team status yet. I expect he will be the starter by the time the fall gets here. I don't think you'll let that guy just come in and take over. I think he's got to earn it. Uh, so feel really good about where he's going to be. Now the backers, you know, we're really athletic at linebacker. You got the starting three, really, really, really physical, fast aggressive guys uh Buki Watson has finally finally kind of come into his own you know, we saw last year and I think that he's in the mix to start there at, at, at Mike and we'll see how things progress uh Ty Wheat is is phenomenal I mean it's like he's around 260 pounds and he runs in the four fives and he can get out in coverage and he can get downhill and he can overwhelm people this is a very intriguing guy and you know what Aaron Brule can do and Aaron Brule is a guy that like went I had one of our coaches tell me, when when you're on offense and he's made up his mind that you're going to have a bad day, you're going to have a bad day. That's just how he is. He's a guy that can take over a game and he can ruin your day offensively. And so I feel really good about that group. And, of course, second teamers, you know, you got, you know, uh, Deshaun Page is out there a little bit. Jed Johnson's out there some. Uh, I really thought Jevin Banks is a guy that did a good job too when when he was out there on the defensive line. So, I really like our first and second team units. Now, Albert Reese is the guy that ran with the threes, but he is probably the best guy with the threes. So, look for him when we go to Saturday scrimmage this year, this weekend. I won't be there. I'll be at Auburn. Paul Jones will be keeping the depth chart for you. So, don't be the least bit surprised when you read Paul's notes on jeanspage.com that Albert Reese is now running second team at guard. Because based on the information that I was given is that Albert Reese did enough to elevate himself to the next unit. So this is a true freshman. But he is a massive player. I mean, he is a huge human being. And so look for him to be running second team when we have the scrimmage this coming Saturday. Wide receiver-wise, I mean, you kind of know what we got, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's Malik and it's uh, Austin Williams and it's Jaden Wally and 
Uh, Jaquarius Bivey played some outside too, and then they moved him out and then put Rufus in a little bit. And uh, Natulu, uh, that's LaDietrich Griffin, and then Caleb Ducking did not participate in the scrimmage. They were there, but they did not participate, and uh, they'll be good to go. I mean, listen, we're just, it's all precaution right now. By the time you guys get here from Maroon and White game, hopefully everybody's good to go. But, uh, listen, we got some guys that can get out there and run, and they really like Makai Polk. They think that he is going to be a real difference maker in the group. He is running second team right now. Same with Randy Charlton. And I think a lot of that, too, is you, you have these transfer guys come in, and rather than just give them a first-team designation from the beginning, you got to make them earn it in the spring. And so Charlton's running second team. Makai Polk is running second team. Jalen Green's running second team. And I don't think that's indicative of their talent level. I think it's just Mike Leach and his staff are like, you know what, you got to earn everything. You're going to earn every rep, practice and otherwise. Probably the best thing that I can say about the scrimmage, based on my personal observations and then talking to some people that were able to watch the last part of the scrimmage that we didn't get to see because we had to go to baseball, is there were highlights for both sides. There's some give and take. You know, you don't want either side to dominate. And I've talked to some offensive coaches, talked to some defensive coaches, and talked to some other people. Hey, you know, let hey, both sides showed some flashes. That's exactly what you want. You know, if you were going out there and all of a sudden, you know, Will Rogers in the defense, in the uh, offense, is just, you know, running rough shot over that secondary, you'd be concerned. And then if you had the defense out there pitching a shutout, you'd be concerned. And so, again – there's enough successes that you can feel good about things, but also some teachable moments that you can get better about other things. And so I like what I saw. I like what I've heard. And I think that uh, this next weekend will be a good one. I think that, uh, you know, again, it's not open to the public, and there's been no official word yet if the media will be able to attend. We certainly hope so. We were on our best behavior. As I shared with you guys earlier, we couldn't do anything during the scrimmage. You know, we couldn't promote the scrimmage. We could only report on it after the fact, and that's what we did. So hopefully everybody behaved and they'll be able to go back this week. And so share some more information with you guys. We enjoy providing that information for you guys. But I really thought we looked pretty good. And the, the, th- the reason that I say that is we look like we know what we're doing. We didn't appear to have a lot of mental errors out there. You're going to have some physical errors. Uh, Reed Bies is a guy that was, it looks like he's going to run second team center. And he had some moments. There were some times he got there and did a really good job. And there were other times when he kind of got a little bit tired he kind of got run down. But listen, listen, this is a guy that's learning a new position. But those are the things you kind of look at and say, okay, well, listen, I, I don't think anybody got dominated on either side of the football. You know, this guy won some matches. This guy didn't. You know, Randy Charlton got stoned a couple times. Other times he got through and made sacks. You know, Ty Weed at times was able to get out there in the flat and make a play. Other times he wasn't. The very first touchdown was a ball to Jaden Wiley that I thought Colin Duncan had picked. He just couldn't finish the play. You know, and so there, again, teachable moments for both sides, but some things to celebrate for both sides, which is exactly what you want at this point. And I thought the quarterbacks were all pretty good. Uh, Chance Levertich got the lion's share of the second team reps and had a pretty good day. Pretty good day. He's a, a guy, when, 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 he, when he gets on the move – his accuracy is pretty good. It's one of those things a lot of guys, when they get flushed in the pocket, they have a tendency to you know, kind of let their momentum carry the pass out of bounds. He, he, he does a pretty good job body control-wise. And so I still think Jack Abraham is probably the number two right now. But I think the gap between him and Levertich is probably, after this, this most recent scrimmage, I'd say it's probably a little closer than I anticipated. I think, I think Levertich is really making a case for himself. He's not a real big guy, 
you know, in that big mammoth offensive line we got, it might be kind of difficult, you know, for him to kind of see over those guys. Maybe he needs to get outside the pocket and move around some. But uh, it's good to have some competition. I think everybody benefits from it. Speaking of benefiting, uh, Portico is your next move. Many of you have thought about moving to Starkville permanently or maybe buying an investment property here or maybe just having a weekend getaway place. Because, listen, we love it when you're here. We really do. I don't want to have to wait for a table, you know, my favorite restaurants. But I do like it when you guys are here and supporting our local uh, vendors. And, listen, I love going to Dirty Noble Field and seeing so many of the same people out there. You know what I mean? It's like there's some people you only see at ball games, but uh, we want to see more of you guys. So consider moving up here. And if you've been thinking about it, now's the time to at least do some due diligence. You know, maybe you're not ready to fill out a 1003 residential housing application to go borrow some money, but maybe you're just in the fact finding mode. Now's the time to reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan with Portico. He tells me there's only a handful of houses left in phase one. So if you're looking to move now or in the next few weeks, you got a chance. You can go ahead and get a move here. And listen, Portico, you said, well, Steve, where is Portico? Well, it's very simple. When you're coming off 82 and you take that turn on the 12 to go towards campus, the very first ride is Pat Station Road. And it's probably a quarter mile maybe. And it, it, as you cross Old West Point Road, it becomes Garrett Road. And so there you are. There you are just over a mile away from campus, the place where you want to be, your happy place, as so many of you ladies hashtag your pictures. And you may be the ones who have to make this decision, ladies. So call Brooks, because Portico is going to be a great place. It's a great new construction residential complex with so many great amenities. you got the walking trail out there. you got the, uh, you know, you got the pavilion with a growing area there, so you can kind of do everything you need to. But listen, Brooks can hook you up. Call Brooks. He is a great friend of mine. He'll be a great friend to you. They will do you right. And listen, when you get ready to move up here, you really don't want to go buy an old place, right? I mean, you don't want to go buy a fixer-up or you want to buy something that's going to work and you don't want to have to dump a bunch of money into that. This is the way to go. Call Brooks today at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk a little bit about recruiting I believe we're going to get a commitment this week. I thought we were going to get one next last week. It didn't quite work out. Uh, Tyler Woodard out of uh, Freedom Prep there in Memphis. He is a guy that's been a state lean for a while. The Final Four, Oregon, South Carolina, Tennessee, Mississippi State. I've been hearing for about three weeks that he's about to commit. He was going to put out another a top five, even though he'd already narrowed it to a top four, and then he was going to commit, and then there was talk he may do it on Good Friday, and then Austin pushbacks. Now there's talk he may do it this week. Uh, whether he does it this week or next week, I believe it's going to be Mississippi State. I like this player a lot. Had a chance to watch him in person uh, at a seven-on-seven tournament over in Alabama earlier this year. He looks like an SEC player. I believe that he will play safety. I don't think that he's a guy that has to be a box safety because he can get out and run. He has great length. And so he is a guy, if necessary, you can walk down in the box and he can play or he can defend over the top. I like watching him get downhill, but I think that he's a guy too because of his length and his ability to to run that uh, he can defend the deep third. And those are the things that I kind of look at when these safeties. This is an every down player. This is not a guy that's going to just come in there and obvious passing or running situations. He's not a specialist. This is a guy that can, you can get a lot of mileage out of this guy. 
There are a lot of other guys out there that are close. I think April is going to be a really good month for Mississippi State. Janoris Hobson's a guy that I think is really close to making a decision. That's a wide receiver out of Horn Lake, Mississippi. Uh, I think Trent Singleton from Raymond. We've talked about him so many times on the show. And I don't just keep repeating those couple of names and just hoping we get them right. I believe both those guys are going to be Bulldogs, but I, but I really just like them as players. It's the thing you look at and say, okay, well, in order for us to take the next step as a program, we have to really capitalize when we have big years in state. We didn't necessarily do that under Joe. That's not to say we recruited poorly. But, you know, we had a great great opportunity a couple of years ago, and we let some big-time players get out of state. So this year that can't happen. And those are the things that I think about, you know, guys like Trent Singleton. You know, Trent's one of those great athletes, and he can help you in a number of ways. I do think he probably starts at corner and work and probably grows into a safety. But this is a kid that Mississippi State needs to get. This is a guy that State needs to get to kind of take the next step. And, listen, there's a bunch of guys like him that are probably – in that number 10 to 20 uh, range in the state. I think state's going to dominate 10 to 20 in the state of Mississippi this year and probably get about half the guys in the top 10. So I think state is really going to dominate the top 20 players in the state of Mississippi this year. There are going to be a few guys. Oh, Miss is going to get some guys too. But I think what we're going to see our benefit is getting guys like Janoris Hobson and Trent Singleton uh, and Don Terry Russell that fit, that fit. They fit our culture, they fit our scheme, and I think we fit them. And I think those are guys, too, they are going to be very vocal in the recruiting trail that are only going to help Mississippi State. And so look for some big things to happen this month, and I think it all probably gets started with Tyler Woodard, and then it probably goes then, you know, Don Terry Russell, you know, maybe Janoris Hobson, Trent Singleton. Uh, really, really, really like the possibility of State having a really good month of April. And then, you know, we'll kind of see what happens. You know, there's a lot of guys around the state that could probably pick up the phone and call right now. Like Carter Edwards is a guy that we think is close to. Just curious to kind of see how things progress. He was here a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think that one's going to work out. It may take a little longer than we expected. But at the same time, too, I think he's a guy that probably needs to do it sooner rather than later. State already has two offensive linemen committed. And so when you got some other guys out there like Matt Craycraft and uh, Cason Grant and others that are – or Cason Henry, excuse me – that are, um, you know, that are on the radar, I, I don't know that you can really delay too long you know, if you're Carter Edwards. I really don't. So that's a recruiting update. I uh, look forward to being back with you guys on Wednesday. Of course, we'll recap everything that happens between Mississippi State and Southern. And, of course, there'll be some more college baseball on Tuesday. I know Ole Miss plays North Alabama. A lot of teams in the SEC postponed their midweek game last week till this week. And so it'll be a busy week in many respects. We'll bring you an update on that. Maybe by this time uh, – you know, Wednesday, maybe we've got some more commitment news to talk about. We certainly hope so. But um, if you hadn't done so, go to alphadogsthebook.com today and order yourself personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And I'm still getting people that are messaging me about the Stark Villain shirts. And uh, listen, you, the more you guys wear them, the better it is for me. So thank you so much because I have so many people that say, hey, where'd you get that? Please tell your friends. You can get your Stark Villain shirts at StarkVillains.com. And that's the fine folks at Deep South Pal that handle all that for me at the same company. And so you know the reputation they have. And uh, the shirts are great. The prices are great. The people are great. Uh, give, it a, give, give them a, a try today at StarkVillains.com. And uh, I'll have more information on some other projects I'm working on here in the weeks to come. Excited about every bit of that. Ready to get some rest, too, though. It's been... Uh, it's been an eventful year. I have really, really, really worked hard. And, uh, 
I really enjoyed having a little bit of a day off today, even though I wrote a couple articles for the site, because uh, I, sometimes I don't know when to quit. I'm just one of those kind of people. I'm a bit of a workaholic, and so I'm always active and always doing something. And as soon as I finish one project, after about two weeks, I get bored and I'm ready to start on something else. So I'll be, I've got some information to share about that as we move forward. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.